Hello, 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 and welcome to my podcast, That Show Fucked Me Up. It is I, the beautiful, the talented, the funny, your host, Mariel Vizcarra. Cue in the applause. What is up, fucked up fam? It's your girl. Um, I don't know. Does my audio sound weird? I'm trying not to be like super loud. I think my mom's asleep already and I'm just trying to be super, what's the word? I'm trying to be thoughtful, mindful. Mindful is the right word. I'm trying to be mindful on my mom's sleep schedule or whatever. Uh, but yes, welcome to the wrap-up episode for The Haunting of Bly Manor. I know I say this all the time. Another show has come and gone, and I'm still here. I'm still thriving. I'm still the baddest. What can I tell you? What can I fucking tell you? <laughs> It is what it is. The girls that get it, get it. And the girls that don't, don't. And it's fine. It's a genre. It's a bad bitch genre. Uh, But let's just get started with personal updates. Uh, I'm recording this on a Monday night. Yes, who is she? Um, I should be going to sleep soon. But, you know, just living on the edge. I'm on the edge of glory exactly like, like Lady Gaga. That was so lame. I don't know why I said that. I don't know what I said that. Also, what's up with Lady Gaga being the new Harley Quinn? I have I haven't seen I didn't see the Joker movie the one with what's his face you know the latest one with the newer new cast so not the Jared Leto Joker the other one is it good can someone please when you're listening to this message me send me a letter dm call me text me beat me if you want to reach me uh that's a kim possible term uh <laughs> who was a kim possible stan because i was a kim possible stan growing up what the fuck is going on with my brain like i start where did i start where did i start where was i going with this joker how did i get to joker how do i get to like oh i'm so confused i literally have no idea where i was going oh i think i was like welcoming you to this episode <laughs> i'm literally being so crazy right now she's so crazy okay let me retrace my thoughts I welcomed you to the wrap-up episode. I did the whole spiel. Another show has come and gone. Come? Come. Why is that such a hard word to pr- pronounce? Pronounce? Just kidding. Take a shot. Um, These ramblings ain't it. I'm so sorry, fucked up fam. Y'all deserve better for the wrap-up episode, but my my brain will catch up eventually. Okay, welcomed you. I have no idea how we got to harley quinn and the joker but (laughs) please do let me know if it is a good show a good show a good movie so i could i need someone to force me to watch it because i feel like i'll enjoy it once i'm watching because i feel it was like very psychological um so please please force me to watch the joker movie the original so i could be up to date on when lady gaga comes out as harley quinn okay i came back full circle i remembered i remembered i am not fucking crazy but that intro uh, <laughs> that intro where i said nothing 
at all nothing of like fucking value was long as fuck already it's almost been four minutes of just me talking out of my ass but what's new okay let's get started personal updates i just came back from las vegas i went friday uh to sunday i had so much fun yo i had so much fun with the girlies uh we literally everyone's like oh my god what what are your plans what did you do i literally went with the sole intention of drinking of partying it up of having a good old fucking great time and guess what i accomplished that i do think maybe if i had gone when i was like younger i would have had more energy because your girl does not laugh not like not like in an alcohol way like i could hold my alcohol i could drink like a sailor it's like i get tired and then i want to go mimi's like does anyone relate to that and i'm not gonna like power through it like if i'm tired i'm gonna be like y'all have a great time i'm gonna go to sleep you know what i mean but like we got there friday friday at around like one ish we changed we got ready not ready like casually and then we walked the strip got like those one of those like iconic big drinks that cost like 20 how much was it It was expensive it was like 30 dollars 25 30 dollars no it was more than 25 i don't remember how much it was it we walked we ate dinner we drank got a little fucked up but then we went back after dinner we started getting ready to go out at night dude what the i took the worst heels and my feet my my tiny little piggies were screaming by the end of the night but it was a it was a good first night and then saturday was what i was really looking forward to because i really like pool parties and i feel like i thrive and not only was i thriving I looked hot as fuck. If you haven't seen my Instagram pictures, go look at them right now and just admire how beautiful your host is. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, yes, I am full of myself, but again, it's a genre. It's a genre. We've already established that. And then at night, we went to Omnia. And uh, they have, like, this area where it's not, like, house music. Because I think Steve Aoki was performing, but I literally couldn't give a fuck. Like, I'm sorry. Mr. Aoki? Mr. Aoki. I don't mean to be disrespectful. But you know what? I'd rather, if the DJ's playing, like, music in Spanish, that's where you're going to find me. Or if they're playing, like, top hits, that's where I'm going to be at. And I'm going to shake my little booty. Well, not little my normal size booty and i'm gonna have a great time and then afterwards like we just grabbed some dinner at like two three in the morning i went to sleep at four i woke up <laughs> at like 6 40 in the morning and i couldn't go well i was like oh i'm so tired i should go back to sleep but then i realized we wanted to leave early to avoid traffic oh did i mention that i we drove there well I took my car, but Alyssa, a.k.a. Yaya, a.k.a. Don Chamango, drove because I guess she doesn't trust my driving. But we left Las Vegas Sunday, like around 9. Tell me why it took 6 hours and 40 fucking minutes to get back to San Diego. That is crazy that is not accept 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 what the f 
my stutter was so bad unacceptable there we go what the like i i glitched i glitched for a hot minute what was that i'm so scared also i think i'm getting like you know i've been clenching my teeth a lot while i sleep so i wake up and my jaw hurts does botox help with that because i don't want to wear a mouth guard to bed that is not sexy <laughs> I am still in my sexy era and I I object to wearing a mouth guard to go to sleep. All right. Thank you very much. But yeah, it is unacceptable that it takes it took me almost seven fucking hours to get back to San Diego. I'm never, ever, ever driving to Las Vegas again. I wanted to fly from the beginning. I was ready to drop money for for the flight because it was spring break. It was a three day weekend for a lot of people. Because uh, it was a Chavez day. And then the flights were high, but I was like, I'll drop the money. I don't care. I don't give a fuck. I hate drives and I hate driving. But Alyssa, aka Yaya, aka Don Chamango, convinced me to like go in the car and I hate her for it. I literally hate her. We, after like hour five, we were going crazy. We were so Delulu. Uh, I don't know why I said the Lulu. Well, I know why I said the Lulu because my friend Brianna said it, but we were so delusional. Um, but other than that, it was good. Did I drop $200 on three drinks at Tao Night Club, Night Beach Club? I mean, at Tao, not Tao, like a Dwaya, like Tao, like T-A-O, the, the pool party beach club, AK. I did. I did drop $200. Well, no, never mind. It was like $186 because I had put like a $20 tip. But at the end, I checked my credit card and they didn't charge me for the tip. Thank God. Thank God for that. Those extra $20 of tip would have like sent me over the edge. But okay, so I bought a drink for myself and I owed a friend a drink, but I didn't know they were doubles. And then when they well, I didn't know one of them was a double. But then she's like, uh, it's gonna be 186. And I'm like, okay. Like I didn't even think about it. I was like, you know, we're here, we're young, we're ready to party. I'm trying to have a good time money comes to me so easily that's me manifesting right now money comes and goes to me so easily like everything i want i'll have and i don't even like yeah like i didn't even have a second thought about it but yeah so that's uh that was las vegas for me i would go back with my friends but i would fly and i would wear very comfortable cute sexy shoes because walking like i have a stick up my ass that's not it that's not sexy at all um so i actually have a show coming up well not yeah yeah it's like a, an anthology of new plays and it's called mariposa rising i already mentioned it that's the name for the show um and i'm really excited i again i wrote a play about vengeance oh, so fucking excited to hear it out loud and i'm gonna be reading for one of my uh peers plays so i'm really excited about that too um so but but by the time this episode comes out that's already like passed but i have been posting about it in my social media so hopefully if you love me and if you're in san diego you went and if you didn't you're dead to me you heard that you heard that right yes you're dead to me uh, just kidding. You're not dead to me. I, I, I know people have lives, but 
because the show is on Saturday, me and Alyssa, a.k.a. Yaya, a.k.a. Don Chamango, had gotten tickets to go uh, see Eddie Suko in L.A. And I'm so bummed that I'm not going to make it because, okay, so when the first time he had a show in San Diego, I wasn't able to get a ticket. And then the second time was when I was in Las Vegas. And then I can't go because I have that show. Uh, but, okay, I'm going to see him soon. I'm manifesting it. Uh, yeah, so Eddie Suko is a, uh, a singer. Is, is he a singer? Yeah, he's a singer from the Valley, from Imperial, to be exact. Uh, so, you know, I support Valley people going out and following their dreams because that's exactly what I'm doing. And I just love that for us. I love that for us. A little pop culture moment. Not Pique being the most hated man, not only in the world, but in Latin American. In Latin America, not American. He is literally more hated than Laura Panini. And that is saying a lot. Well, right now, I feel like everyone always goes back to hating Laura Panini. Uh, so for context, uh, if y'all don't know, Pique is Shakira's ex-husband who cheated on her with Clara. If you haven't listened to the Visa Rap, uh, um, you know, uh, song with Shakira, it'll tell you all the tea, but I'm sure all of you have because y'all don't leave, you, y'all don't live, not leave, live under a rock. Um, most hidden man in Latin America. And then he went on a podcast recently or like an interview and he's talking about how people from Latin America are the worst because they're attacking him on social media. Bro, you literally just dug your own motherfucking grave, bro. Like, how are you saying, like, he's like, oh, yeah, there's no, I, I honestly, I didn't even listen to the interview, but I've been seeing a bunch of, like, stuff on social media. And, <laughs> bro, you thought Latin, Latin America hated you? Now they hate you now they fucking hate you and i also wanted to give some context i said that pique is more hated than laura panini laura panini i think she was like um she had a show in like mexican tv uh and she had a show with another like person and they were like best friends blah 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 and she stole her best friend's husband and then her best friend died I think she had like I think she had cancer, but I'm not entirely sure. But everyone in Latin America, but most like specifically Mexico, hate Laura Panini. <laughs> uh, podcast update, bro. What the fuck? I oh wait, no, I think I have chosen what show I'm gonna cover for season nine of that show. Fuck me up. So stay tuned for that. I will let you know at the end of this episode and also like i said i'm gonna start saying this in the beginning remember to uh give the podcast a five-star review on both apple Podcasts and spotify it helps with visibility yes it does and that's all i have to say it's short sweet and lovely just like me wait i'm not sure that doesn't make fucking sense um moving on to recommendations corner I haven't watched shit. Like, the only thing I've been watching is The Sopranos, which is so fucking good. I tweeted the other day. I was like, why am I attracted to Tony Soprano? Like, I know he's not an attractive man. Well, there's something about Tony Soprano. Like, I don't know what it is. But I don't know if it's because he's cocky. I feel like it's like his crooked teeth. Like, 
I really like I hate veneers. I think veneers take away from personality and I just like normal real teeth. And there's something about crooked teeth on a man that just like mm, drives me insane. Crooked teeth and a big nose. We've been knowing mediocre looking man with big noses and crooked. I'm just I'm literally attracted to ugly men. I just <laughs> JK, JK, JK. Um, so I've been watching The Sopranos. I'm in season two. Everything's going great. Everything's going lovely. I love Tony Soprano, like I mentioned, weirdly attracted to him. I love Christopher. Um, I, I love a toxic toxic king. Uh, not personally, like I wouldn't date a toxic king, but he's hot, <laughs> bro. Like I was attracted to Peter Quint. Like he did horrible shit, and I was still thirsting after this man. So of course, I like Christopher. I, I love Uncle Junior, even though he is, he tried to kill Tony Soprano, but let bygones be bygones. I love, who else do I love? I feel like I was going to say someone else. I have, I have a complicated relationship with Carmela, but, you know, she a ride or die. She a ride or die. <laughs> Not Carmela telling uh, Tony to get a vasectomy if he's going to fuck around on her. She's like, the embarrassment that you would bring to this family if you had a bastard child out there. Girl, the embarrassment. What? <laughs> she's like, she's like, I don't even care if you cheat on me, but like, don't have a bastard child. And then Tony being all like offended that Carmela asked him for one. Also, not Uncle Junior being the original munch. <laughs> What's up with the mob and them like not wanting their like other mob homies to know that they like to eat pussy? Like, I didn't know eating pussy was like seen down upon. That's crazy to me because in this household, we love munches, we support munch lovers. <laughs> Also, I'm, uh, I'm, what is it? I, I, what's the word that I'm looking for? I'm sick in the head and I've been rewatching Pen15. I couldn't find the word that I was looking for. I couldn't. Yes, I've been rewatching it. Have I rewatched it a bunch of times? Yes. Is it I'm a comfort show? Yes. Does the divorce episode with Anna's parents getting a divorce make me cry? Yes. Also, that one episode where Maya's mom reunites with her first husband. Bro, why the fuck did they do that to us? Like, that episode broke my heart. Also, the, the blowjob episode was traumatizing. That shit was so traumatizing. Okay, but other than that, I don't have any movies recommendations. I really want to watch The Estate. I where did I where did I see that? It was it in HBO Max, or was it on Hulu? If it's on Hulu, you already know how I feel. Hulu doing God's work. Um, but yeah, no podcast recs right now. Book recs. I'm still reading the last one I shouted out last episode. Music. Again, uh, listening to the Lana Del Rey's new album. Did you know that there's a, what is it? There's a tunnel under Ocean Boulevard. Yeah. Did you know that? Did you know that? Um, 
But yeah, let's just get started with today's episode. All right, fucked up fam. I figure I will give you a little overview, a little agenda of what will we will be covering or what I will be covering today. <laughs> Who's this we? Who's this we I keep mentioning? <laughs> what I will be covering today uh, for the wrap-up episode. So I'm going to talk about two articles that I found, and then I'm going to talk about what uh, book the haunting of Bly Manor is based on and I actually watched uh, an adaptation of the book so I will go over that and what I my thoughts were I have I have thoughts I have thoughts on that movie (laughs) and then as always I'm I post questions to y'all, to the fucked of them, and ask you if you have any lingering thoughts, any lingering questions about the haunting of Bly Manor, and I'll do my best to answer them. Uh, but yeah, let's get started with the article. So the first one, it's um, I think it, I think it's not an article. I think it's like an actual uh blog post. Is it? Well, it's uh, it's from a Castle of Chills. Uh, it might be uh, an article. So the article is called Every Love Story is a Ghost Story, an Exploration of the Haunting of Bly Manor. And these are like the points that I got from this article. So again, uh, one of the one of the quotes from uh, Haunting of Bly Manor is like to truly love another person is to accept the work of loving them is worth the pain of losing them. And I think that this this quote is very similar to the every love story is a ghost story so accept the work of loving them is worth the pain of losing them i think it's like they're literally mirrored mirrored versions like different words but they mean the same thing and um so the allegory of loving and taking care of someone is very present throughout uh the different characters that we've come to know and love from Bly Manor so starting with Owen so Owen is in this relationship with his mother right so he was in Paris living his biz biz, biz living his best life uh being a sous chef uh you know shopping those vegetables away and then his mother gets sick so he has to come back to Bly and I don't know if you remember when he gave Danny a ride to Bly like the first time they meet he's just like oh you know you know Bly like Danny is like in awe of how beautiful Bly is and he's like you know, it's like, I feel like I'm stuck to this place. So he has feelings about Bly and the fact that he had to come back because it's his duty as a son, right? To take care of your parents when they grow older. Uh, I think he, he has this like negative relationship to the place, but he loves his mom and he wants to be there for her. He wants to take care of her. But at that same time, he also feels like he's stuck there and, and his like, his like love story here is just like you know a love story doesn't have to be romantic it, it could be like with a parent with a friend with a sibling and for him it's just like i love my mom but you know she's she's lear- literally turning into a ghost before like his like my own eyes or his own eyes uh and then hannah so we see this um allegory in hannah because she's always distracted she's always confused and at first we're just like the the viewers are like why is this woman so 
awry well like what's happening here because we don't know the full truth we learn the truth about her uh later on but we later find out that the reason she's so distracted the reason she's so confused is because she's like hopping from memory to memory and she's unable to come to terms with her death because she wants to continue to look after the children that she loves oh so so hannah is completely oblivious to the fact that my girl's dead she dead <laughs> she deader than disco uh and i she can't come to terms with the trauma because that means like realizing that she's no longer a human and that's that that already is a fucking existential crisis as it is and then like so i think she pushes that trauma to the back of her head like she makes it so small where she's able to continue to just live her life uh clean the house look after the children you know and um so and also we also see hannah and owen's relationship and it's hannah and owen's relationship is the literal personification of the every love story is a ghost story quote dude my heart my fucking tiny little precious heart because there there is so much love between them there's so much love that will never be what's the word that i'm looking for will never be acted upon well because Owen literally cannot anymore. Well, afterwards, after like he finds out that Hannah was a ghost. <laughs> She's dead. And it's just like their love cannot. I don't what are the words that I'm looking for right here? I'm I I'm just so sad. <laughs> I'm so sorry that I can't like put my thoughts into words. I should be better at this by now what season 8 the last episode of season 8 and i still can't form the thoughts in my words but the thoughts in my mind into words i'm so sorry i apologize but i think y'all get it y'all get it every love story is a ghost story hannah and owen's love story is a ghost story because oh my god i just it just clicked you know when owen and hannah were having all these like cute moments where it's just like they're just like flirting a little bit but like you know not really and then they're like kind of having like deep conversations i feel like during those moments that's when you fall in love with a person that's when you like really get to know who they are and what they stand for and their values and all of that owen was literally falling for a ghost Therefore every love story is a ghost story. Ah, oh, wow, my brain. It's it took me it took me a while. It took me a while, but I was able to put my thoughts into words. Wow, we love that for me. <laughs> And then in Danny's situation, Danny is giving herself up to save Flora, the child that she loves and cares for. cares for even though she knows she knows she's like it was basically an exchange she's like leave her and take me 
I don't care. I don't care what you do with me. Uh, I was hired and brought here to love and protect these children. And that is what I'm going to fucking do. She's like, Viola, don't fucking play with me right now. Don't play with me. <laughs> she was like, uh, can you give me the child back real quick? Uh, and then you could take my soul. Viola is literally Ursula from The Little Mermaid. Viola's just out here chilling inside in the lake, just taking souls left and right. Oh my god, Viola is literally Ursula. <laughs> I think I think that I found what I want to do for the Instagram post <laughs> that I'll be posting regarding this episode. <sighs> yeah, that's really good. That's my mind. Again, my beautifully a beautiful, not beautifully, my beautiful, precious mind that works in such mysterious ways. I'm so mysterious. <laughs> um. Oh, and then also when Danny's like, you know, after the events of like her giving herself, giving her soul up to save Flora, Danny's alone in her room and Jamie goes in there and, and Danny's basically like, She's going to take me. She's going to take me. Like, she's freaking out. She's so fucking paranoid. And Jamie just reminds Danny that, you know, let's just take it one day at a time. One day at a time. And she reminds Danny that everyone gets gets that same opportunity. One day at a time. Because at the end of the day, no one really knows when we're going to die. No, like I could go outside tomorrow and get hit by a bus. I could go outside tomorrow and be on a car accident. I'm not, nope, not manifesting that. I'm knocking on wood. I do not want that. I want, I want to live. Oh, there's uh, I, my ADHD is acting up. There's this poem, <laughs> this slam uh, poet. I think is is it Bonafide Rojas? I think it is, but he has a line in, in one of his poems, and he's like, I want to live. I want to write. I want to live. I want to write. I want to live. I want to write. That's literally me. I need to stop saying literally. Oh, my God. I hate myself. I Okay, fucked up, fam. Change of plans. Change of plans. Change of plans. We're not going to drink anymore when I mispronounce a word. We're going to drink when I say literally literally stunning <laughs> i don't know where that accent came from it's been it's been a tough tough morning <laughs> but okay drinking when i say literally not when i mispronounce words anymore where the fuck was i going with this okay yeah me not manifesting my own death um and it's true we're all just living life one day at a time hoping for the best hoping that we'll wake up tomorrow and then we'll get to go to sleep tomorrow oh my god i was gonna say literally again but i didn't i caught myself that does not count we're practically i'm gonna start using practically <laughs> we're practically violas in this world we just get up wake up walk sleep and then we wake up again. That's, on, honestly, that's the most we could hope for. The most we could hope for every single day of our lives is that we wake up, that we walk, and that we could go back to sleep. 
because that means that we're alive. Wow, again, my brain. Why am I so talented? Why am I so bright, beautiful, sexy? Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, fuck the fam. The delusion is kicking in. The delusion is kicking in and it's a strong one. I need to fight it. I need to fucking fight it. Um, and then if we really think about it, Danny's previous relationship uh, with her ex-fiance, her, what what is it called when your fiance dies? You're not a widow. You're a, I don't know. I don't think that there's a word for that. Well, yeah, but whatever. Danny's ex-fiance uh her relationship with him i think it was a turning into a ghost story both literal and metaphorical because their relationship was dead well from danny's perspective their relationship was dead her her relationship with him had was making her so miserable if you haven't if you're one of like the people that just listen to the podcast but don't watch the show Y'all need to go back and watch like all the scenes with her ex with her fiance. Danny looks so sad, so miserable. And it's her relationship with a man because I it, it wasn't him. It wasn't him. Him, not him. <laughs> he seemed like a really nice person. Like he's actually really cute. Like Danny, give give him over. Give him over. I'll take him. I'll take him off your hands, girl. I got you. I got you. <laughs> he seemed like a really nice, cute, thoughtful man. What was killing Danny is that she's a lesbian and she couldn't accept it. That's what was killing Danny. So their relationship that started when they were children, they there was so much love, but all the love kind of was started deteriorating because she couldn't be with him. She couldn't be the person that he wanted her to be straight. <laughs> and that love story turned into a ghost story, both because the love died and he also died. My mind. My mind. Can we take a moment to appreciate your host, your girly, your girly pop? <laughs> Again, fucked up fam. Y'all tune in for this every week. Every week y'all tune in for this. <laughs> Are y'all okay? Do we, is everything good at home? Do we need to talk about shit? I, I'll be your ear. I'll, if you need to talk about something. I, I think it's my turn to listen after y'all been listening to me go on about everything. Wow. My mic is not my therapist. Y'all are, I, am I trauma dumping on you guys? I'm having like an existential crisis right now. I'm having like this realization, like what if I trauma dump on my listeners? I'm so sorry. If I've ever triggered you, ever in some way i'm so stressed right now fucked up fam if i've ever triggered you i'm so sorry i'm so sorry sweetie <laughs> again the delusions acting up the next article that i read is called the haunting of Bly manners oh no the haunting of Bly manners mike flanagan breaks down the series ghost myths and hellacious hauntings and uh, some of the points that i took from this article is like 
Mike Flanagan explaining the character of Hannah's development. And this is like, this is a quote. So if you die on the grounds of Bly Manor, the first thing, the first thing that happens is you go through a period of intense denial. And that's where we have Hannah Flanagan explains. So the idea was that uh, this first stage of it was this kind of dreamlike uh, that people could still carry on. They could they could dream up new clothes for themselves, which Hannah does. And it's why she keeps kind of changing her outfit scene to scene. And they can f physically interact with the world and appear to people because they're always putting out the effort because of muscle memory and denial, basically. So once Hannah dies, she can't remember that. But then she does remember. Oh, my God. It's kind of like. Viola, once like she's completely erased, her face is gone. She's just walk. She's just going through the motions. Walking out of the lake, walking into her house, going up to her bedroom and then walking back down, going back into the lake. And Hannah, in that same way, is going back, going through the motions that she knew when she was alive, which was like getting up, changing clothes, cleaning, taking care of the children. Wow. Mike Flanagan, I love you. <laughs> and then this is another another quote. But then once again, you accept the fact that you're dead. A whole bunch of rules immediately change. Once that realization kicks in, you're no longer able to reliably affect the world physically. And at that point, your experience of your life as you try to experience this new way of living becomes very non-linear. I'm sorry for screaming. <laughs> At this point, you're kind of involuntarily bouncing back and forth between what is the present, what is the past, and what is the future. And this is very similar to uh, Hill House, where uh, they also have concepts of ghosts being nonlinear. If y'all remember, baby Nellie was being haunted by the bent neck lady. And spoiler alert, the bent neck lady ended up being her. And... Uh, moment of silence for 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 Nelly ah uh, ah uh, all those all those children all those tiny little traumatized children i'm never going to get over hill house ever like the impact the haunting of hill house brought to to me and my existence and it changed storytelling for me forever. I love it. Again, Mike Flanagan, I love you. Hi, Kate Siegel. Uh, you, Mike Flanagan, and me should become a throuple. Just think about it. Just think about it. Like, I'm not even attracted to Mike Flanagan at all, at all. But I'm attracted to Kate Siegel. So, compromise. That, you know, I've been learning that in relationships, you got to compromise. I'm not in a new romantic relationship. But I feel like it's a learning curve. And I'll compromise. I'll be in a throuple with you guys. Thank you for your consideration. <laughs> and then uh, Mike Flanagan explains that hell to him as a perfect atheist is, is, is not this like, it's not what the Bible has made it seem like this hole and like black hole with fire and like you're burning. That's not hell for him. For him, hell is re the reliving of certain scenes. So the moments during your life that traumatize you. So 
Hell for him is the re-traumatization of the individual that dies. Because at the end of the day, what is more terrifying than reality, right? And it's like for, I think for Hannah, her re-traumatization is, is not like a horrible one. Because again, she she didn't know she was dead, so she she can't traumatize herself yet. But it was just coming back to that one scene where she met um, Owen, and like just having that conversation, and then the conversation started like turning a little bit, and then like her timeline started to get a little crumpled. So I think that like maybe it's the act of losing your mind. Maybe that was Hannah's hell, just like kind of like that we haven't had that conversation yet why 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 are you bringing that up we we have that conversation two years later like from this from when we had that interview and it's just I think it's just the confusion for Miss Rebecca Jessel it's reliving all those moments that during her life might have been good ones but then they start turning right like the like the fur coat scene it started out as like, oh, like it's like very romantic, sexy, whatever. You should feel the fur coat on your bare skin. Um, but then when she dies and we know and she knows that Peter is the one that got inside her body and drowned her, that scene becomes horrible for her because it's just like she knows what he did, but it doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up, sis. It, it ain't adding up, sis. It ain't adding up. And then, and I think the worst hell of, of it all is for Peter because he did not, like he said during that scene with his mom, he's like, at first I thought I was going to go back to when I was a child and like the abuse was happening, but no, I came back here with you because it was the moment I realized that you could have helped me. You could have been a fucking mother, but you didn't. You chose to be oblivious to the truth you chose to look the other day and what's more horrible than that what is more horrible than knowing your mother knew that your father was abusing you and she chose not to do anything because her love and her devotion was to your father the abuser and not to you never to you that just makes me so fucking sad that's okay. And I think that's why I have a look again, 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 again. I said it once. I said it twice. I'll say it a million times. I'm not justifying Peter's actions because a lot of horrible thing happens in the world. And not everyone that has had a horrible experience turns out to be a horrible person. But I, that's why I have a, that's why I have a soft spot for him. And also it doesn't hurt that he's very, very, very hot with a very, very strong nose. And if y'all know something about me, if y'all know me, I love a strong nose. I hung out um, with my friend Kelly, AKA Kelly Bear recently. And she's like, ever since you mentioned strong noses, every time I see, I see a strong nose, I'm just like, Mariel, Mariel. And I'm like, we went to the mall uh, yesterday. And I was like, and she's like, ah, she told me that. And I'm like, did you notice that the nose on that guy that just walked by? <laughs> Y'all are fantasizing about abs, about jaws, about like 
I don't know. I'm fine. I'm fantasizing about noses and hands. If I see a a, a man with hands, well, no. If I <laughs> if I see a man with nice hands, and not even nice as in like, I don't know how to describe. I don't. Okay, if I ever find a picture of hands that I think are attractive, I'll send them to y'all. And by send them to y'all, I'll post about it in my story. Okay. But let, okay, I'm so sorry. I keep going on on tangents, but I think okay. So I'm done with the articles. We're just 24 minutes in. Not nothing too crazy um but i wanted to talk about how the haunting of bly manor is a loose adaptation of the book of a turn of the screw which is an 1898 horror novella by henry james so i looked up the plot for this horror novella which is we fuck calling shit books fuck calling shit novels we're gonna bring back the word novella. It's like it has like pizzazz, pizzazz. It has pizzazz. I feel like I'm not pronouncing that word right. My pizzazz, my my mind is buffering right now. Pizzazz, not pi- not pizzazz, <laughs> not pizza. <laughs> okay. So here is the Wikipedia plot of The Turn of the Screw, 1898 horror novella, 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 novella. <laughs> I, I want to bring back this word and I can't even pronounce it, right? Uh, by Henry James. So on Christmas Eve, an unnamed narrator. Yes, we see that in Blind Manor 2. And some of his friends. Oh, he's a he are gathered around a fire. One of them, Douglas reads a manuscript written by his, the, his sister's late governess. The manuscript tells the story of her being hired by a man who has become responsible for his young niece and nephew following the deaths of their parents. He lives mainly in Bla- in London and has a country house in Bly, Essex. The boy, Miles, is attending a boarding school while his younger sister, Flora, is living in Bly, where she's cared for by Mrs. Groves, the housekeeper. And then Flora's uncle, the governor's new em- the, the governess new employer, is uninterested in raising the children and gives her full charge, explicitly stating that she is not to bother, bother him with communications of any sort. And the governess travels to Bly and begins her duties. So very similar, very similar, except you know, the narrator's a woman. Um, and there's no there's no manuscript that she's literally telling this story from memory um because at the end of the day we find out that the narrator is jamie and this is her trauma (laughs) so miles returns from school for the summer just after a letter arrives from the headmaster stating that he has been expelled and but miles never speaks of the matter and the governess is hesitant to raise the issue she fears that there's some horrible secret behind the expulsion but is too charmed by the boy to want to press the issue Soon after, around around the grounds of the estate, the governess begins to see the figures of a man and a woman who she does not recognize. The, fi- the figures come and go at will without being seen or challenged by other members of the household, and they seem to the governess to be supernatural. She learns from Mrs. Groves uh, that the governess' predecessor, Miss Jessel, and another employee, Peter Quint, had had a close relationship. Before their deaths, Jessel and Quint spent much of their time with Flora and Miles, and the governess becomes convinced that the two children are aware of the ghost's presence and influenced by them. Again, 
very similar. However, I don't think um Danny ever saw Rebecca till Rebecca actually showed herself in that one scene towards I think was it episode six when uh, Danny just walks into the room and Rebecca just was sitting in Flora's bed and she's like whoa like Danny's all shook and Rebecca's like what's wrong <laughs> so again very similar uh, I mean we know why Miles got expelled uh, killed animal cruelty <laughs> Um, but again, blah, blah, blah. So without permission, Flora leaves the house while Miles is playing music for the governess and the governess notices Flora's absent and goes with Mrs. Gross in search of her. They find her on the shore of a nearby lake and the governess is convinced that Flora has been talking to the ghost of Miss Jessel. The governess sees Miss Jessel and believes Flora sees her as well, but Mrs. Gross does not. Flora denies seeing Mrs. Miss Jessel and begins to insist that she will not see the new governess again. The governess decides that Mrs. Gross should take Flora away to her uncle in, a, in an attempt to escape Miss Jessel's influence. <clears throat> the governess is left with Miles, who that night at last talks to her about his expulsion, revealing that it was because he, he said things he states he cannot remember to people he also cannot remember. The ghost of Peter Quint appears to the governess at the window, and the governess uh, shields Miles, who attempts to see the ghost. Uh, the governess insists to Miles he's no longer controlled by the ghost. And then she finds that Miles has died in her arms. So some changes here, right? Uh, first of all, Miles does not play music. <laughs> Miles does not play the piano in Bly Manor. <laughs> and, you know, we see Flora go out again and again multiple times by herself so it wasn't just like a one-time thing you know and obviously miles does not end up dying in bly manor in the haunting of bly manor and he gets to live a really long and happy well i'm hoping happy life um but yeah those were some of the of the differences um and i mean flora is never sent away to protect her so i think there are a lot of differences and i watched uh this movie well, the movie by the same name, The Turn of the Screw. It's a 2009 movie. I watched it um, in this Plex for free because there was like a newer version, but it was like a modern take on it. And I was like, no, I want the, I want the, um, you know, like, like the closer to the story as possible. So it's a watch.plex.tv. Um, I was able to, to watch it for, for free. Um, so this, <laughs> it's from 2009. It's an hour and 33 minutes long. Okay, and this is the description, all right? Based on Henry James' famous novel, novella, if you might, if you may, <laughs> this latest version emphasizes the ambiguity, 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 what ambiguity oh there we go there we fucking go the ambiguity of this supernatural drama does does Anne really see ghosts are the two children in her care about to be possessed by the spirits of the sexually dubious Peter Quint and Emily Jessel this is left to the viewer to decide during a bleak yet sumptuous 90 minutes of classic period storytelling bruh bruh Y'all, y'all heard that, right? Y'all heard this description. That's exactly how this movie felt, like a fever dream. <laughs> OK, 
Okay, so I'll just give you my like first impressions, nothing else, just okay. So the equivalent of Henry Wingrave in the Turn of the Screw 2009 uh, version is so hot. He is hot as fuck here. He's like, I wrote in my notes, yum. <laughs> and not only that. This man is super fucking flirty. So another difference. There's no trauma with Henry Wingrave or the master uh, equivalent of Henry Wingrave in The Turn of the Screw. Uh, he's just vibing. He just does not want to take care of his niece and nephew. He's living his best life in London. He's hot as fuck. When he interviews Anne, so Danny's equivalent, he he's like flirty and he even caresses Anne's hand when he hired her in like a very sexual way. Like I was speaking of hands. I, just, <laughs> I love how I tied it all back up. It's it's a full circle moment here. Um, so yeah, he's super flirty. He's super hot. And okay, so at the beginning of the movie, Anne is literally in a psych ward and she's being interviewed by like a, doc a doctor and he wants to figure out what happened in Bly. And she's like really traumatized. She can barely, she barely speaks. And so that's also very different. Uh, was Danny traumatized in Haunting a Bly Manor? Yes, but she was not psych ward traumatized. <laughs> and okay, so whatever, she gets hired. She goes to the property. There is a bunch of staff in the property there's a driver there's a bunch of maids uh and then there's hannah gross mrs gross and then obviously flora uh when she first gets there and all the staff looks scared as fuck like they look so fucking scared like terrified and and then there's again no man in the property other than miles and the actress the little actress that plays flora looks like a grown woman in a child's body with pale white ass hair uh there's also a great dane in the property which i love i love uh dog actors that's what i wrote in my notes and the, another question i asked in my notes i was like why do miles and flora look like amish kids <laughs> like super pale blonde hair like super pale skin they they should be getting more sun i mean they do live in like this huge property they're always outside why are they that pale it does not make sense sis it don't add up it don't add up <laughs> also trigger trigger warning sexual assault what the fuck so the equivalent so peter quint in in the turn of the screw and hen in this in in this version were literally assaulting the female staff i think so they would just like sexually abuse them it was mostly peter and i think henry well i don't know i don't know that scene was weird they had like one of the maids sitting on his lap and then um so there was this line i think Anne says Anne says the line she's like man will be man and woman will be woman and it reminded me of my line that 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 a man is a man is a man <laughs> uh, in conclusion men are pigs um and dude, there's this fucking scene. This scene, I thought I was 
like on drugs when I saw these scene. There, there's this scene where Miles bitch slaps the fuck out of Flora, <laughs> and then he tries to drown her <laughs> in like a bathtub that is outside. I was so confused, fucked up, fam. It took me forever to watch this movie because. I would only watch it at night and then I would get tired and then like it would buffer and then I would have to like re like refresh and then find like place again. And then it took me like days, days to watch it. And it's only an hour and 33 minutes long. So y'all could already begin to uh, understand what this viewing party was like. And then Miles. Okay. So there's this scene where Miles kisses and it's so weird. Okay, so he like kisses. You know how like Miles and Bly Manor is like really flirty when Peter, well, Peter's acting as Miles and he's like, he puts Danny's hair behind her ears or he makes like a comment like that sounds like something a child should not do. No, this Miles literally kisses. This child literally kisses. Um, I don't know how they cut it so it wouldn't actually be a kiss, but it looks like a kiss. Um, like this, 2009 was very controversial, very controversial times. If I do my my like, if I do say so myself, and then Anne gets like a flat, like a a flash of like her kissing Peter Peter Quint. It's so weird. And they also say that Anne was like sexually frustrated. I don't know. I I I think they like diagnose her with like hysteria later you know as they did as they did with women they you know you're a little crazy you're acting out of terms uh you're hysterical let me masturbate you and give you a uh, an orgasm so you can deal with your hysteria um and then miles dies <laughs> so there so flora leaves uh it's only Anne and miles in the property peter the ghost comes out and he's just like he wants to take miles's body he can't miles dies so confusing so fucking confusing and again when the police get there very hill house like very hill house like the police get there and is like like hugging miles's dead body and then obviously they think she killed him so she's taken to the psych war Whatever, they find her guilty. And then at the end, we see a new governess get to the property. And Flora welcomes her with open arms. And she's like, we've been waiting for you. We've been waiting for you. We've. All the ghosts in the property have been waiting for the new governess. The end. <laughs> Yo, this again. This. Was. Do I recommend for the laughs? I recommend it for the laughs, but nothing more than that. Nothing more than that. It, I was so confused. So fucking confused. Also, very white production. Quite white, if I do say so myself. Something about my flying in that I got to respect as a white man. I'm so glad that he does bring more... Um, color into his into his ensembles into his casting uh maybe not so much hill house but uh midnight mass Bly manor there is a little bit more diversity no only pale as white people were casted in this in this movie 
2009, man. 2009 seems like a like not that long ago, but a lot of shit was different with like the world in terms of like being more diversified. Is diversified a word? I'm in an EDI committee. I should know this. Um, but yeah, those are my thoughts on the turn of the screw, uh, the 2009 version. Another thing that I wanted to touch upon, I know this episode's already around an hour long, but I have to talk about it. When when Hannah is telling Henry like to tell Owen like when they find me in the water well, tell him that I'm sorry and that I loved him and the rest is just And we know, we know that she was going to say the rest is confetti. From The Haunting of Hill House, if you haven't watched The Haunting of Hill House, again, why the fuck do you hate yourself? Please learn some self-love, watch The Haunting of Hill House, listen to my coverage of it, which was my season one. I can't guarantee that my first season that I ever recorded is a good one. What I can guarantee is a good fucking story. So... In the first season, when Nellie is talking to her siblings, she's just telling them how she loved them and how the rest is just confetti. The rest is confetti. And I kind of did like a search of what other people like, because I'm not sure that I know or like that I have a thought about what it means. Or maybe I do have thoughts, but I just can't put them into words. We've established that for this episode. My thoughts are so convoluted. Is convoluted a word? I feel like it is. Uh, that sometimes I can't put them into words. That's why I'm a writer also. But I guess I'm also a podcaster, so I should learn. But I did a quick Google search, as one does, and I found this Reddit page, uh, and it's called, How Do it? Well, the question that was posed is like, How do y'all interpret the rest is confetti quote? Uh, what does it mean? And like the person that posted it, it's it's a uh, geeky Lex, and this was from two years ago. So uh, they said they they use this when talking about love in Hill House, and referenced it again in Bly Manor when talking about love. I kind of interpret it like love is the single strongest, most important factor in these relationships, and the rest is unimportant. So the rest is confetti. I say this because confetti is usually the unimportant mess around a bigger idea. It's like an add-on to a more important celebration, so a birthday party, a graduation, etc. Obviously, the birthday is most important, and the confetti is kind of just the background noise that adds effect. Hence, the quote, the rest is just confetti. And uh, they uh, Geeky Lex said that someone asked them to explain this quote to him earlier because he didn't understand it and this is how I kind of viewed it but how do you guys interpret the meaning behind the whole confetti thing so Geeky Lex posed this question and Buggy King 25 responded I kind of took it as a similar quote to saying icing on the cake so it's just a fun blast of excitement that often comes at the end of a bigger journey like the end of a race or a graduation for example it's a little celebration at the end on top of everything, good and bad included. And then, uh, kind of, sort of, no, 
uh, said throughout Hill House, Nell would say words and phrases wrong. So it's logical that the rest is confetti is her equivalent of icing on the cake. And I really like this point of view. I Because Nell does say a lot of things that are wrong. And I think I mentioned it in my first season that it's just like... um. It's a linguistic thing with children when sometimes they say things that are not correct, but to them it sounds correct. So when like an adult corrects them, they're like they they get upset because they think they're saying it correctly. So maybe Nell or Nelly, baby Nell, as I refer to her, probably thought, well, no, because adult Nell said this, but then nonlinear ghost. I don't know. I don't know, but I really like that. And then uh, someone, uh, Honey Bee Heart, said, I agree with the spirit of these interpretations. So far, for me, it just means that in the end, what matters is that you loved and were loved in return. The rest is just trivial in the grand scheme of things. Obviously, it doesn't negate the need to try to be better toward, for, with each other when we can. But it's a beautiful sentiment and one I have seen heard of many people expressing at the end of their lives. Why did that make me emotional? <laughs> Um, and then this is a, a longer one, and it's uh, e ephemeralized. Ephemeralized? I'm so sorry, ephemeralized, if you're listening. You probably aren't, but I'm so sorry if I pronounced your username wrong. But they said, I think that the context of what precedes this, state, this statement in season one is important. People apologizing for their failures to someone they love. The loved one replies, I loved you completely. And you loved me the same. That's all. The rest is confetti. And this is my overanalysis. Uh, if Ephemeralize said, <laughs> I take this to mean that loving someone wholly and being loved that way in return is ultimately a joyous thing of beauty. The moments in which we can't always be there for each other in the way they need us to remain in the end, small, ephemeral blips in the grand scheme of enjoying this mutual commitment. When you get confetti all over you, it can get stuck in your clothes or hair for a while. But at the end of the day, this confetti is a minor nuisance, nuisance which you soon forget. By contrast, the memory of the party of which this confetti is a side effect stays with you. And then they said, I love the confetti statement because it also suggests that moments of co confetti rain down and scatter around us, much like the raindrops of the time that they talk about in the same scene. So again, the raindrop conversation happens in Hill House. So, But I figured we would talk about this because Hannah almost said it. She almost said the rest is just and then she disappeared. Ah, my heart, my little tiny lovely heart. To wrap up the wrap up episode, I figured that I would uh, I would answer some lingering questions about Bly Manor, starting with where the fuck did the spirits go? Uh, in my humble, very very humble, extremely humble opinion, all of the spirits uh can now rest peacefully. They do not gotta, you know, relive their trauma every single day. In conclusion, either they went to heaven or they're just vibing. I hope they're really vibing. I hope they're just vibing and having a good time. I don't know if they went to heaven. I don't know where the fuck they went, but they're not stuck to the parameters of Bly Manor. And honestly, that's a great start because Bly Manor, Bly Ma the vibes in Bly Manor were not it. It wasn't lit, peaceful vibes. <laughs> 
Second question, what was the deal with Peter's abuse? So what I interpreted from what, you know, Mike Flanagan shows to tell us was that uh, trigger warning, sexual assault, uh, skip ahead maybe like a minute, was that Peter was sexually abused by his own father growing up and his mother knew about it and um, his mother just, you know, didn't do anything to protect him. And I feel like his mom coming back to kind of, what is that word that I'm looking for? What's that word? Um, What the fuck? So his mom came to him as an adult and he's like, oh, you don't want me to... Uh, tell your boss about your record and stuff like that. What's what's the word? When you not confront him. It's not confront. It's a C word, I think. Okay, but basically his mom was like using his past against him. And I feel like, okay, bigger question or yeah, most important question. Is Peter Quint a bad person? I don't think so i think he's a person a very complicated person that did horrible things okay no wait oh i'm so confused about him i'm so confused about him i think he's just a person and people fuck up and people do horrible things but at the same time they could be nice to other people and the people that they love you know, a murderer can still have love for his family and his loved ones so it's like i feel like Peter Quint is just so troubled. So when his mom came to his house and is like, you want me to tell him that? Like, oh, you don't have money, but your employer has money. So do something about it. Steal. So she basically forced him to steal. And I think that the reason Peter Quint went along with it is because he was like brought back to feeling powerless in the eyes of his mother. So I think that's the only reason that he did decide to steal. But I don't know, was he stealing before or did he start stealing? You see, these are just questions that we're never going to get answered. But that's kind of like my interpretation of what happened. Uh, Let's see. This one's an interesting one. Third question, why don't Flora and Miles remember Bly Manor's events? Uh, I think it has to do with, um, and I was recently talking to a friend about it, when we experience traumatic events, our brains are so powerful that they kind of obscure the trauma. So maybe maybe not the trauma di- like directly because traumatic events are just like, we're always going to remember them. But like, okay, like in in real life, this is I'm talking real life, but we do forget a lot of things that happen around that time. Uh, I was talking to someone and they like shared with me some of their trauma. And then they were like, I I asked them, do you remember like a lot of your childhood? And they only remembered a very traumatic moment in their childhood. And I was like, that's crazy. So I think uh, Mike Flanagan, if I'm Uh, getting in Mike Flanagan's shoes um I think he tried to create that same thing but they actually just didn't remember anything surrounding the trauma the traumatic moments that they encountered so Miles and Flora encountered uh while living in Bly Manor um and then the next question is what was the deal with Henry's doppelganger for me um 
I think it was his guilty conscience. It was his guilty conscience. And um, do you remember when his brother uh, came to confront him? And he's like, you you created this monster. And I hope that every time you see yourself, you see a monster staring back at you. So I think it was his way of dealing with what happened with uh, his brother and his the love of his life, his brother's wife. <laughs> Complicated relationship, if I do say so myself. Um, but yeah, yeah. That's that's what I think is like the doppelganger. And it's kind of it's kind of like that like little voice inside your head telling you that you're fucking horrible and that you're never going to succeed to anything. And it's the, it's the voice that's always holding you back from your full potential. So I think that's what the doppelganger was. And it's kind of like reminding you, like, you're the issue. You're the problem. Like, stay away from your family because you're just going to taint them and stuff like that. Um, and then what was what was I going to say? I think because so I got the questions from an article titled I'll give credit where credit is due the haunting of Bly Manor 10 unresolved questions fans still have but I I only uh, covered the ones that I uh, liked Uh, there's another one about um, Danny's fiance so was that really Edmund's ghost and what happened to him and I think Edmund was the same thing that Henry's doppelganger was to him. Edmund's ghost or Danny seeing Edmund's ghost right before he was like ran over is her guilty conscience like coming back and tormenting her because she can't let go of the fact that she, she's, she's probably always thinking like, damn, if I hadn't broken up, if I had like stuck it through and not broken up with this man maybe he wouldn't have gotten off of the out of the car maybe he wouldn't have gotten run over it's my fault and and also the fact that all of his family loved her so she couldn't deal with that she couldn't deal with them loving her while she was thinking that it was her fault that he died so that's why she had to put like that distance between them well (laughs) a whole fucking ocean between them because she moved uh to london to the uk to Bly manor um and then, so the last question is, what is the ultimate fate of the curse? So the curse of Bly Manor. And I'm just going to read this verbatim from the article. So one of the things from Hill House, fa- that Hill House, though, one of the things from Hill House fans wanted to, uh, to be avoided in Bly Manor was a luck luckluster ending. While the conclusion wasn't bad, it left a lot of questions over Danny's fate. After all, the fact that she somehow came back to Jamie implies that Bly Manor's curse might not be permanent. And yet there's also Jamie's word for it, as her story asserted that Danny was forever cursed. With clashing evidence and fans' own own curiosity, is there a chance that there might be a loophole in Danny's fate? Seeing as Viola and other ghosts change, fans would like to know if Danny would escape as well. I had never thought about it that way. I thought the ending was just a beautiful way to wrap it up, but I never thought about Danny actually being there. I'm kind of like... Now I'm like stressed. No, because I feel like if Danny was there, it might be all 
in Danny's head. So maybe we're seeing it from Danny's perspective, you know, the way that Hannah kept meeting with Owen uh, to go over the interview. Danny's just going through the motions. And one of her emotions was being with Jamie because that's the person she loved. So maybe the ending, we were seeing it from Danny's perspective and not seeing it from Jamie's perspective or from like the viewer's point of view. You know what I mean? So yeah, that's that's what I'm thinking or whatever. Um, so, uh, let's transition over to the real end of this episode. I am now going to tell you what show, uh, I will be covering for season nine of that show, Fuck Me Up, and it is, drumroll please, The White Lotus season two. We're going to fucking Italy, bitch. We're in Sicily. We're in Sicily. Sicily. What the fuck is a Sicily? I was going to say, like, I was going to sing the we're in Miami, bitch. But I was going to say Sicily. But that didn't sound right in my head. We're in Sicily, bitch. No, that Sicily is too many syllables. (laughs) I'm so sorry. Fucked up that. I'm so sorry for ruining the excitement with my mispronunciation of shit. Uh, but I mean, it's what it's what you expect. That I mean, we're nine seasons in. Well, eight. Just wrapping up eight. We're about to be nine seasons in. What can you expect from me at this point? Please, please give me some leniency. So yes, we're gonna be going to Sicily. Tanya McQuad is back and bitchier than ever if i do say so myself i am so fucking excited for this next season we knew the white lotus season one was a fucking train wreck y'all are not ready for season two shit's about to hit the fan and i'm so excited and i hope you are too and with that We've gotten to the end of our episode. So remember, please, uh, you know, give the podcast a five-star review. It helps with visibility on both Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. Follow the podcast on social media, on Instagram, where that show effed me up. And on Twitter, where that D-A-T show fucked me up, fucked us both without the U. Thank you so much for your love and your support and for listening, Fucked Up Fam. Y'all are the best. I'm so happy uh, that we're all part of this shared psychosis because I don't know where my soul psychosis journey would be without y'all. So again, thank you so much for listening. And remember, be gentle, be kind, and don't be an asshole unless you absolutely have to be. Goodbye.